Our reading today is from Luke 9, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Thanks, Anastasia. And uh, if you've got a Bible or on your phone there, do keep it open. It's Luke chapter 9. I seem to be overcome with Bibles here. Let me just uh, put one back on the front row. Uh, now, there were a couple of, um, couple of guys who were, uh, who were friends, and they, uh, they met together fairly regularly. But once a year, they had this conversation with each other. Uh, one of them was an accountant, and the other one was uh, an evangelist. And each year they met, and they had this conversation. And uh, uh, the first time they met, um, uh, the, the guy who was uh, uh, an evangelist said he was going to have many evangelistic meetings. He's going to be the speaker, and he was praying that there were going to be 500 people would actually come know, to know the Lord Jesus through his ministry over the coming year. And the accountant said, well, that's brilliant. Uh, I, I'm just praying for a friend of mine called John. And uh, I, I'm praying that... Uh, um, uh, that I'd have an opportunity to talk to John that he might become a Christian this year. That would be terrific, just the one. And then a year later they met and, uh, and they asked how each other got on and, uh, uh, and the evangelist said, well, it wasn't 500 people who came to, to Jesus. It was actually a thousand through my ministry. It was absolutely brilliant. And how about you? And, uh, and John, the, uh, the, uh, the accountant said, uh, well, um, he was suitably impressed. And I, I, uh, I talked with my friend John, and he became a Christian. And we decided this year we'd try and, uh, uh, each of us would try and spread the gospel to one more person. So we're just saying, you know, two of us and, and hopefully two more. That's what we're praying for. Uh, and it went on year by year by year. And each year, uh, 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 John uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and the accountant and others and so on, one by one by one, uh, each year they were just adding one more. Uh, to those who had come to know Jesus through them. And the evangelists had, had thousands of people were coming to know the Lord Jesus through him. In the end, who sees the world converted first? Actually, it's not the evangelist. It's not the person who's seen thousands of people becoming Christians. They never actually get there. They never actually would see the whole world converted in that way. No, it's actually, it's the accountant. It's the person doing it one by one by one by one. And actually, uh, well, it depends on the world's population, doesn't it? But uh, it takes about 32 years that way to reach the whole world. If the world's population has doubled by 32 years, then 33 years, okay? Um, Or again, 34 years if the world's population has doubled again. 
Now, as we're getting back into Luke's gospel this evening, uh, Luke has told us that Jesus is the savior of the world. But how is the world going to know about him? How is the world going to know about Jesus? Well, the answer to that is actually it's through an army of people who believe in Jesus uh, telling the world about their Lord and Savior. And uh, there is going to be, as we get to this point in Luke's gospel, there is going to be an army commissioned commissioned on the day of Pentecost. And this evening we're looking at Acts chapter, uh, Luke chapter 9 and verses 1 to 9. And if you like, you can see this as a dry run for the day of Pentecost and for the church being sent out. And he's got these 12, the 12 apostles here, uh, and they're going out on a mini mission. If it could be, you could say it's a dry run or it's a training mission um, uh, for, uh, or a taster, if you like. And then they're going to, they're going to go out with the gospel. Uh, they've been equipped by Jesus. And then you see at the beginning of verse 10, the apostles, the 12 returns. And they reported to Jesus what they had done. So it's, if you like, it's a training mission. Now, it's really important that we see the apostles as having a unique place in the history of Christianity. And uh, in many respects, they stand alone and they have no successors. They're, they're commissioned here. They're commissioned by Jesus as those who have been with him and been given a unique privilege and the unique authority by Jesus to formulate, to write down the gospel, to plant and, uh, and help grow the first Christian churches. And they're authenticated. They're made, they're, they seem to be genuine by the power and authority given by Jesus to do the miraculous. For instance, as you see in verse one, Jesus had called the 12, the apostles together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And so, uh, the, if you like, you can say that the, the miracles that we see here in, in healing all these folks, and uh, verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. And, uh, and if you like, you can see those miraculous things and those healings as their ID card, or their card saying, I really am who I'm claiming to be. They're authenticated by these things to show that they're the real deal, to show that they're general, uh, that they are genuine, proof of who they are. Now, of course, God can still heal people and do miraculous things today. Of course he can. But don't confuse that with what we see here in Luke chapter 9. So what's the application for us? What are we to learn from this? What are we supposed to do about this? What do we do today? Do we just read this and say, well, that's interesting, but nothing much to do with me. Or on the other hand, you can say, well, that's really great. I can do exactly the same as what they were doing. Or is there something a bit more nuanced about this where we're saying, no, there's actually more to this uh, than uh, just simply copying what they were doing. What's the application? Well, I think the application has got something to do with the carving knife. And uh, um, I think it's really important when you have a carving knife that it's nice and sharp. And it is absolutely really razor sharp. And then that way you can cut nice thin slices of your Sunday roast. And 
Uh, let me assure you, this is my carving knife, and it is very, very sharp. And we're thinking this evening about cutting edge, about a cutting edge ministry, and that is very, very sharp indeed. This is what we're thinking about tonight, cutting edge ministry. Okay, cutting edge ministry and all Christian ministry and what we're thinking about tonight and what we can learn from this and take from this passage and apply to our lives. And Christians are all ministers. So what are we going to do about this? Well, we can take these things tonight and we can learn from them. And uh, uh, tragically, it seems to me that so much of Christian life and the ministry that's, that's, that's carried out by, by Christian people, so much of it is uh, like trying to carve a joint with a blancmange or a jelly. But actually, Christian ministry really ought to be about being a carving knife. It really ought to be about having that cutting edge in what we say and what we do and how we live, uh, and uh, praying that we would have the, the impact on others as a really sharp knife will have, say, on the joint when we're doing the carving for, say, Sunday lunch or whatever it is. So we're seeing here tonight cutting-edge ministry. This is what we need to apply to our lives and to what we do. That's for all of us. It's not just me, but it's for all of us. So you're a Christian. You are a minister. And Jesus is saying, look, he's sending out the apostles and what they did there. But there are principles, there are things there that we can see that they were doing that actually we want to, and Jesus is showing them, that we want to apply to our own work. And the first thing I want to say about this is that it's, uh, it's apostolic. It's apostolic. So our ministry, cutting-edge ministry, is apostolic. Look at the first two verses. Jesus had called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Just the twelve. A dry run, if you like, or a training exercise. Having a go. They were going to set up the global mission of the church to run until Jesus returns. And here they are being trained in it. And they're going to see how they go down in Acts, which is Luke volume 2. During the Second World War, there was an American submarine uh, that was in the Pacific. And one of the guys on board got appendicitis, really bad appendicitis. In old money, it was, uh, his, his temperature went up to 106 degrees, or I think that's 41.1. That's very high. But unfortunately, when you're in a submarine in the middle of the Pacific in the Second World War, you're in a bit of trouble if you've got appendicitis. So there was no doctor on board. Um, but he had a good friend on board who was a pharmacist. And, uh, uh, and his friend was called Weller Leaps. And, uh, and Weller Leaps said to this uh, seaman on this submarine in the middle of the Pacific in the Second World War, he said to him, look, I've watched doctors do appendicectomies as part of my training. So I've seen it done, and I think I might just be able to do it. If I don't, you're going to die. So what do you say? Should we give it a go? Well, it wasn't much choice, was there? Uh, and the, uh, the sailor said, yeah, let's give it a go. So the pharmacist, Weller Leaps, that's a great name, isn't it? And uh, his assisting officers, uh, they, uh, they dress themselves up in the, in, they put their pajama jackets on, tops on, back to front. Okay, that was their operating gown. They made uh, masks out of uh, gauze, which they'd found. Um, the cook boiled water for sterilizing. A tea strainer would have to do as an antiseptic cone. The alcohol, they drained from the torpedoes. 
on board the sub. And that was the antiseptic. They used bent teaspoons to keep the operating site open. And after the initial incision, the pharmacist took 20 minutes actually even to find the appendix. And then when he'd found it, the, the operation actually lasted two and a half hours. And the stitching was completed just before the last drop of ether gave out. 13 days later, the soldier, the sailor rather, was back at work at his station on the submarine. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because the pharmacist had seen the operation in the past, and now he has to have a go to save his friend's life. And the apostles here, they've seen Jesus doing exactly, exactly what he wants them to do in Luke chapter 8. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to have a go. And they have to have a go. And then the early church saw the apostles doing it, and then they needed to get involved in doing it as well. And so the baton is passed on. Slight differences there. But the apostles here are doing what Jesus did in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus did what we see here in chapter 9 and verse 2. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were ill. And then what happens? Look at verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village. And what are they doing? Proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now that proclamation is our role too. Apostolic, because we're following the apostles' example. And this is the way that Jesus said, this needs to get out. This knowledge, this, this good news, this message has to get out to this world. And my people are going to do it. That's you and me. We need to be doing that. It's about the kingdom of God, the gospel in verse 6 there, of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that baton of gospel proclamation has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to us. To us right here now our ministry is not the same as the apostles ministry i mean the power that they had for the miracles and so on is to authenticate them but actually what they were doing in terms of the message and the message that has been given to us to pass on that is our ministry and it needs to have a cutting edge but let's see more about that now so that's the first thing it's apostolic but the second thing here is that it's evangelistic Christian ministry has got to have an evangelistic cutting edge. It just must. Look at what they're doing. Look at verses 2 and 6 again. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming. That's loud voice stuff. Yeah, of course Christian ministry is going to involve pastoral care. Of course it will. And Christian ministry is going to involve um, <laughs> huge amounts of admin, it seems, these days, and uh, for many of us. And, uh, and it involves uh, being involved in a community and teaching and discipling people and building them up. And all that's good. But Christian ministry must, must, must have an evangelistic cutting edge. Now, what does that look like? So it's going to mean, for instance, that when we're, when we're telling people the gospel, we're not afraid to talk about sin and judgment. So just have a look at verse 5 here. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, what's all that about? Well, the Jewish folks, if they went to a Gentile area, 
They were going outside of their, of where they lived. They were going outside of God's people. And then when they came back, when they got to the border, if you like, they would, they would shake the dust off themselves. They would shake the dust off their feet of the place where they'd been. And by doing that, they were saying, those people are unclean, those people are not fit for heaven, those people are not God's people, but I'm now back with God's people. So they're, 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 they're enacting and they're displaying the judgment of, of the people who are not God's people, the Gentiles who are, who are elsewhere, who are outside of God's people. So you see, when they see here, uh, verse 5, if people don't welcome you, leave their town and do the same thing. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Tell them about judgment. Tell them about the possibility of not being God's people. Tell them about the possibility of not making it to glory, to heaven, after you die. Shake the dust off your feet. You see, gospel proclamation is a warning a number of were on a training day recently with a guy called Rico. And uh, one of the things that really struck me is that uh, he has in his own mind every day, he just said, I, 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 this is my, my mission statement of life. People without Christ go to hell. People without Christ go to hell. And will I warn them? And will you warn them? Because to do so, that is cutting edge, isn't it? That is cutting edge. And do you have a cutting edge in your witness to folks? Do you love them enough to warn them of an eternity without Christ? So cutting edge ministry is apostolic, it's evangelistic, it's uh, urgent. It's urgent. And that's what verse 3 is about. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Um, I think what he's saying here is that, guys, don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Don't waste your life on things that don't, aren't going to last. This is urgent. The most Im- Who is the most important person that your unbelieving friends and family know? That's another thing this guy Rico said to us. Who is the most important person your unbelieving friends and family know? Answer, you. You. Because you ought to be the one who's telling them the gospel. (laughs) This is really urgent, isn't it? This is really urgent. We need a cutting-edge ministry. And you need to remember, if you're a Christian, you are a minister. And we all ministers need to have the cutting edge of a carving knife. We need to have the cutting edge of a carving knife. Uh, a guy called uh, Bob Moffat said this, uh, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Someone else said this, uh, let us live as though Christ died yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow with joy, hope, passion, and urgency. But it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it, for other things to come in, to get encumbered by the deceits of this world and so on. Um, when I was a curate just up in Crowborough, the vicarage then in those days, it's a bit different now, but in those days the vicarage had ten bedrooms. And, the, uh, uh, and when it was built, 
It was built for one single guy, because the Vicar of Crowborough, when it was built, was a single man on his own. With his butler, his stable, uh, what, what, what they call people who work in stables, his stable lad, uh, his cook, his housemaids, and so on. He had a staff. But don't you think, I mean, glad that doesn't happen these days, because it's just so easy to get distracted, wouldn't it? You know, oh, I must go out for a ride, or, uh, uh, you know, I will go and do some shooting, or whatever you do. And, uh, um, uh, I, I, I always look back when, um, you, you know, you can, you can just have too much stuff, can't we? I, I always remember when, when uh, we were uh, out visiting, um, we were in Kenya, went to the, um, uh, to the slum, the uh, Kabira slum in Nairobi, and uh, we visited a bunch of uh, Christian uh, people who were working in the slum there. W- visited this guy uh, who was there, and in his, uh, his, his, there was this study, a beaten earth floor, corrugated iron roof, and the holes where they normally put the bolts through, there were still holes there, okay? Um, and then there was, a, there was a card table, there was one sheet of paper and a blunt pencil and John Stott's commentary on 1 Thessalonians and a Bible. That's all that was in this room, literally. That night, there was one of the biggest thunderstorms we have ever experienced. And uh, Ross and I, our former youth minister here, and, and Ross said, uh, and I, we said to each other, he's going to be getting very wet, isn't he? Because the water will just be pouring in through those holes in the corrugated iron roof. And we looked at each other and we said, we are never going to complain about our studies ever again. He said, we just get, you can just get so um, distracted with all the stuff and so on. That this is urgent. This is really important. This is, we want to be involved in cutting edge ministry. And some of us have become blamonges because there's too much stuff that distracts us about what we're supposed to be doing. Gospel's too urgent, isn't it? Don't get too comfortable. And then the next thing here is this. Cutting edge ministry is everywhere. Everywhere. Look at the end of verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaimed the good news and healing people everywhere. Everywhere. God doesn't command sinners to go to church. He does command the church to go to sinners. That's what someone said. And there are no limits here, are there? Just everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's very easy for us to think, isn't it? Oh dear, I couldn't possibly get a white hawk. I wouldn't move to Molescombe or whatever, because uh, that's uh, you know. Or I wouldn't go to South America or Spain because a bit far away from the family, and I wouldn't see my friends very often. Um, we're named after a guy who went to Africa with the gospel and was murdered for his trouble. It wasn't just James Hannington who was murdered. He was with a group of about 45 people who were murdered that day. Sometimes we can lose our cutting edge just because we're not really prepared to go. It's great to see Susanna there up in Darwin, wasn't it? And wanting to go to Ethiopia when especially the trouble in Tigray has, uh, has calmed down. Ethiopia is not an easy place to go. It really isn't. So where are you not prepared to go? Where would you not want to go to? What would you not be prepared to give up? Cutting edge ministry. And then the final thing, apostolic, evangelistic, urgent, everywhere. And the final thing here is... um, Challenging. Challenging. 
Um, and I'm not thinking this in terms of being challenging for us, but I think it was pretty challenging for Herod. You see there the ministry of John the Baptist in Herod's life and the implications of what you read in verses 7 and 9. Herod is really quite concerned here. I think he's worried. Bad conscience, possibly. You know, here's another preacher of righteousness has turned up. And people are saying, John the Baptist has been raised, maybe, or Elijah, or one of the prophets is back. And Herod's getting rather worried here. It says in verse 7, he was uh, perplexed. Perplexed. Um, Actually, the other times that word is used, it means doubted in the New Testament. And do you think it could be that doubted means he's actually doubting what he had done? And he's beginning to think, maybe that wasn't such a clever idea after all to get John the Baptist beheaded. And when you read verse 9, you probably ought to read that with a really concerned tone to your voice. I beheaded John. Who's this? I hear such things about. And we need to comfort the discomforted. We need to discomfort the comfortable. Our message should challenge people. That means we need a cutting edge to our message, to our lives. My fear is that generally speaking, we don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. We don't like to be unpopular ourselves the trouble is you know i'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone probably more but this is too important and too urgent to worry about our own popularity what could you do say this week just sharpen up your ministry what could you do perhaps one thing So you could say next Sunday, I've been a bit sharper than I was last Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, there is um, a lot of things to think about there. And we pray, Lord, that you might impress on our minds and hearts the seriousness of the position of those without Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see and to understand how we can best help them. And Father, we know sometimes we're we just recoil, we, we, we fall back from what we should be saying and doing. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who uh, sharpen ourselves up this week. For Jesus' sake. Amen.